Gracious Lord, truly here we would seek you, trusting that we will find you. Know, Lord, that you are to be found in and through your word. So open it to our hearts and our minds once again. Lord, open my lips that my mouth would proclaim your praise. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may go ahead and be seated. We were speaking with my oldest son this week uh, about spring break plans. His and ours, of course, they can't overlap. They have to miss each other by exactly one week. So we're trying to rendezvous in the middle for a weekend, right? But it was bringing back to my mind some of my fondest college memories, which were road trips that I took over the course of my college career. Uh, Trips to West Virginia to fish and camp. Uh, road trip out here to Colorado to stay in a cabin west of Colorado Springs with some, some buddies. The epic road trip to drive out to Cape Cod to ostensibly pick up a canoe, which we then brought all the way back to college that we used then as a bench to sit on in our apartment dining room because that's about all it was good for. But I love road trips. I always have. Still do. But some of those road trips often involved um, caravanning, right? You know, a couple of cars or more <laughs> going together to a, you know, agreed upon location, trying to follow one another. You ever done this? I find caravanning stressful. Whether you're the lead car driver or the follower, it just takes a lot more, you know, focus and attention, doesn't it, than just sort of barreling down the road at your own pace. Maybe I just have that independent streak. I like just setting off on my own. But you know how it is, you know, the the lead car goes through the light that of course changes immediately after, right? And then you have to like pull off to the side and wait for the guy that's hung up behind you, you know, and then get going again or or even out on the highway. How is it that that many cars can get between you, right? When you're trying to stay together or even worse, the semis that obscure your view of the car that you're following completely. I find it stressful. Following, especially over long distances, if you keep losing sight of that other car, can become a stress. Well, the same can be said of some of the themes that emerge throughout the scriptures. Not that they're stressful, but some of them, especially over the great expanse of time represented by biblical history, some of them can be hard to to sort of trace. They disappear and reappear throughout the story of God and his people. Like trying to follow a car closely, it takes more focused attention to spot them and keep them in view. We see this often in the readings from the the lectionary, which is the fancy word for the schedule of readings that the church appoints each Sunday to be read in worship. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a, a tradition that says that each week in those those selections of reading, there's a quote unquote golden thread a theme that's meant to tie all of them together and tie them to the gospel reading in particular. Now, I will confess, some weeks I think there are a whole host of semis obscuring the view of what in the world is meant to be tying these scriptures together, right? But other weeks, like today, it's a lot easier to keep the caravan in line, to keep that unifying theme in sight, See, in framing the new prayer book, the 2019 prayer book for the Anglican Church in North America, 
and the liturgical calendar and that lectionary schedule of readings that go with it, our national leaders within the Anglican Church in North America designated this second to last Sunday as World Mission Sunday. World Mission Sunday. A day to reflect upon the global mission of God and the role of the church of Jesus Christ in accomplishing that mission. And all of the readings we read this morning point us to that. So this morning, rather than sit with any one particular reading, I'm going to draw, actually from all of them, and highlight the theme that draws them all together. Because each reading, even though they uh, represented points thousands of years separated on the timeline of God's story, his activity in history, each makes its own contribution to our understanding of the work of God in redeeming his creation. The work of God in making all things new. What we'll see emerge is a theme that God is at work through his people to bring his presence to the entire world. I'll say that again. God is at work through his people to bring his presence to the entire world. First, we heard the words of Isaiah in chapter 49. These are the words of the servant Christ. First, declaring that as God's servant, he himself will fulfill the purposes of God for the entire world. The purpose that the ancient people of Israel pointed to, but frankly failed to fulfill. That's what the servant means when he says in verse 3 of Isaiah 49, And he, the Lord, said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. See, God is declaring the uh, second phase, if you will, the second phase of his plan. In former times, God had declared his purpose in working in and through his ancient people, Israel. On one level, it could be argued that by the time of the prophets, Israel had proved themselves incapable of fulfilling God's plan and purpose. However, viewed from a, a divine standpoint that sees the whole road, not just the cars directly in front of us, what we see is that Israel's purpose was in fact to preserve a line, a remnant from which this servant king would spring forth. And so in that work, they succeeded. Fulfilling all the Big Ten and you know, Leviticus and all that stuff, yeah, they, they failed abysmally. But to be the people of God, to preserve a line through which God would raise up his servant king, they actually succeeded. So here we have an articulation of, like I say, this sort of next phase of the plan. The phase that would take us from Isaiah's day in the 8th century B.C., to the time of the New Testament, when Christ would come not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, as we've been reminded recently in the scriptures. That Jesus would come and would do and be and accomplish everything. Everything that the nation of Israel never did accomplish, but always pointed toward. Never accomplished, by the way, because they strove to do it in their own strength. Jesus came in the strength and power of God and became the representative servant embodying all Israel 
and accomplishing all the law and fulfilling all the prophets. But we also heard in that same reading God say through Isaiah in verse 6, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. A clear declaration from the 8th century B.C. that God's plan to bring light and salvation to the world is meant for the entire world. This is God saying through Isaiah, guys, this is not a Jewish thing. This is a world thing. This is a plan for all creation. I have blessed you and chosen you, not because you are so great and righteous and whatever else, but because I care for the whole creation. And I want to use you to be a conduit of blessing. Blessing for the entire world. God is at work through his people to bring his blessing to the entire world. Which leads us to our psalm this morning. Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2, we read, we declared together, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. The psalmist gets it too. The people of God are blessed in order to be a blessing. When Jesus calls us to abide in his love, it is not so that we can just sit at home and feel warm and cozy and blessed. Blessing is always given by God to beget blessing. Blessing begets blessing. Hear that, people of God. See, Israel's status as a chosen people was never intended to give them claim to exclusive rights and access to God. They were chosen by God for a purpose, a purpose that we've already seen encompasses the entire world. Similarly, we have a particular call to stewardship as the people of God in the most affluent society the world has ever known. A call to recognize the responsibility that comes with such blessing. In 2 Corinthians, St. Paul writes to the believers in Corinth. He writes them to remind them of a previous financial commitment that they had made. See, Paul was going around to all the churches that he had planted and trying to raise funds for the suffering poor church in Israel, in Jerusalem. And he reminds them because all of a sudden it seems like they're going back on what their commitment had been. So St. Paul says this to them. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever, whoever gathered little had no lack. Friends, there is a burden, not an unfair burden, but a burden nevertheless upon us as the church of Jesus Christ in this day and age and healthy economy to share as a matter of fairness with the church in places that are still experiencing lack. 
This is why we've continued to financially partner with our brothers and sisters in Rwanda as a local church here. It's an important connection for us. It keeps us rooted and reminded that our experience is nothing like the majority experience of Christians around the world today. We need to learn more how to steward the blessing the Lord has given us. This is why I believe with all my heart that the biblical discipline of the tithe, the devoting of the first 10% of our income to God and His church is so important for us as contemporary Americans. Because it grounds us in this reality that our financial sustenance is not for us alone. If I discipline myself to give over my tithe without question or complaint, I begin to see my finances differently. I begin to see the stewardship of all things a little more clearly. And that is important because stewarding the blessing of God is just not a euphemism for money, right? The blessings of God encompass all of life. Stewardship is a disciple's lifestyle. It impacts not only how I spend my money, but also my time, my gifts and abilities that God has given me. I'm not blessed with a job that affords me leisure time and, you know, between two and four weeks of paid leave a year just so I can use that time to pursue my avocations. The blessing of that time needs to be stewarded as well. I'm so grateful that I see so many of you that, that get this. So many of you get this. In a day and an age and a place that says to us constantly, don't waste a sunny Sunday morning sitting inside at church. Get out into the hills, right? You're here. I'm so grateful that I see a number of you fighting the urge that says, ah, oh, it's been such a long day. The last thing I want to do is go to a small group with a bunch of other people and talk about Jesus, right? Especially to take all of our kids and do, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that we put out a call for the need to serve faith family hospitality and the homeless families of Fort Collins. So many of you step up and say, hey, we could do that. We could give up an evening as a family, even to do it together. Some even saying, I'll take one night out of my week, and if I sleep poorly on a cot, I sleep poorly on a cot, but I'll spend the night at the church to be present. I'm grateful for the examples I see here of time stewarded well. Likewise, I'm grateful for the examples of stewarded gifts and abilities that I could point to as well. People serving this church with their professional training in finance, in administration, even in law. People serving each other with their gifts of compassion and hospitality. And people thinking and praying for ways to show those, share those gifts with others even outside of our church body. Blessing begets blessing. All the Father has given to us is not just for us because God is at work through his people to bring his presence to the entire world. Fast forward to our gospel reading this morning. We heard Jesus instruct his disciples and said in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The context was, of course, Jesus' own compassion upon seeing the crowd of Galileans which had come out to him. Verse 36 told us, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now there are two principles I want to underscore from this brief passage. First, note the heart of the good shepherd. He is moved with compassion for the harried, helpless, clueless crowd. I think far too often when we get going along in our own walks with Jesus, we can risk losing sight of the tremendous heart of love and compassion that the Lord has for us. As we seek to live our lives according to his word, his teaching, his wisdom, his way, we can begin to put a kind of uh, pressure to perform, if you will, upon ourselves. A pressure that the Lord himself does not place upon us. I hear all too often comments that form, uh, uh, they they belie a vision of God on the part of believers. A vision of God as the, you know, sort of the the old man upstairs who's shaking his finger, or at least sort of palming and shaking his head at our foolishness. But that vision of God does not come to us from the scriptures, brothers and sisters. In the scriptures, we find God as the loving heavenly father who will go to every length to return his wayward children home. Not shaking his finger or his head, but opening his arms, running to us even as Jesus shared in the story of the prodigal son, sending his one and only eternal son to come among us, to look with compassion upon us, and to die and rise again to redeem us. All moving from his eternal heart of love and compassion. Likewise, it's all too easy to get going along in our lives following Christ and trying to make it through this life. And we wake up to find that we've grown rather desensitized to the brokenness, the harassed helplessness, the lostness, of the men and women all around us and all around the world who still live like sheep who are without a shepherd. Jesus' heart of love and compassion is meant to beat in the chest of all of us, his people, his brothers, his sisters, the sons and daughters of the compassionate father. I know for myself, when I can hear the, the news of immense suffering around the world, and it, you know, sort of just passes me by or, or, or even kind of uh, meets, I meet it with apathy. Or when I look at the men and women in my own community who act in lost and broken ways, and I likewise spring to avoidance or worse, annoyance, I know it's time for me to take a step back and to ask the Lord to restore my vision, my vision of his heart, of compassion, his compassion for me, which frees me and allows me to express his compassion for those around me. 
The second application from this text is pretty straightforward. When faced with the tremendous burden of the world's need, pray and ask the Lord to raise up his church to meet it. It's very telling the way Jesus phrases his command. Ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers to go into his harvest. It's his harvest. He is the Lord of it. And so we join him in his heart of compassion and passion for that harvest and ask him, Lord, raise up your church. Just as we prayed this morning, build your kingdom even here. When we're faced with yet another news story about the racial divisions and brokenness within our own country and culture, pray that the church would be strengthened, that the Lord would raise up his church to be a reconciling presence. When we hear about those languishing, caught between warring factions in Syria or Iraq, or those oppressed in South Asia, pray for the church to be strong and to do what Christians have done throughout the church's history in those places, to meet the need and face the violence with prayerful compassion. When faced with issues of homelessness or substance abuse or inequity in our own community, pray that the Lord would show His church in northern Colorado how to meet these needs with prayer and compassion. Watch out, because when we pray... It's not long before we begin to realize that we may also be the answer to our own prayer. Rather than praying for someone else to come along and to meet that need, we need to be open to the fact that in asking the Lord to mobilize and raise up laborers, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, he may respond, I already have. I'm just waiting for you to respond and to go into the field with me. Because God is at work through his people to be his presence to the entire world. And so finally in Acts chapter 1, we heard Christ's great commission, as it's been called, to his apostles. Verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A commission to the church, the gathered people of God in all times and all places. That we are the people of God, enlivened, empowered by the Spirit of God, whom he has ordained to bring the presence of God by that Spirit his very own presence to every corner of the earth. We, the church, as divine witnesses, are carriers of the divine presence. We're meant to steward the blessings that God gives us. Steward them on behalf of the entire world. We are to embody the compassion that the God who is love, that the shepherd who is good, has for us and has for all those around us. 
we as the church are to move in prayer for the brokenness, the harried helplessness, the lostness of men and women all around us and around the world. We as the church need to be ready to be the answer to those prayers when God calls us to be his witnesses. Because God is at work still. God is at work through his people. When we are empowered by his spirit, we are his presence to the entire world. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we praise you for the way you have been at work throughout history. That even from the time of Adam and Eve, when brokenness and helplessness and harriedness, lostness entered our world, even then you began to be at work to redeem, to restore. Thank you, Lord, that we can trace that history throughout the history of our world. Thank you, Lord, for sending your servant son. Thank you, Lord, for raising up your church. All of us sitting in this room are here because at some point in our lives, in some way, shape, or form, we were touched by your people and became a part of them. And thank you, Lord, for your plan and purpose for us to continue to use us, to continue to pour out your compassion upon us, and not for us only, but that we would be conduits of your compassion to the world. Lord, do again pour out your spirit upon your church that you truly would build your kingdom here. It's in your name that we pray, our Lord, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.